welcome to a special episode of the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox, and today I'm joined by Westwood Creative Artists literary agent, Emmy Nordstrom Higdon, who is here to answer your questions about querying and publishing. So I'm going to get right into that because we have a lot of questions to get through with some specific and detailed answers, which is amazing. But just before I do... Coming soon is another Ask Agent session with Avitas Creative Management Literary Agent Lori Galvin, so please stay tuned for that as well. And one other quick mention before we get started is that Mood Pitch pre-event activities start this Friday, March 31st. You can go to the pinned tweet on our Twitter page at Mood Pitchers to find out what the schedule of events is. But basically, there is an event that happens each day between March 31st and April 5th. So that's six days of fun things to help you get your pitches and mood boards prepared, get pumped for the big day, generate interest in your amazing manuscripts, and engage with other writers in the community. So those things will be, some of them will be all day long, some of them will be whenever, and some of them are at specific times. So for more information, head over to our pinned tweet at Mood Pitchers, and you can also check out our website at moodpitch.org. And without any further ado, let's get to today's guest. I have a special guest joining me today. Emmy Nordstrom Higdon is a literary agent at Westwood Creative Artists, a faculty member at the Manuscript Academy, and a member of the advisory committees for the Festival of Literary Diversity and the Sheridan College Creative Writing and Publishing Program. They are a queer, trans, and non-binary colonizer based in Toronto, Ontario. Emmy lives with their partner, a deaf Dalmatian named Pavo, two formerly feral Maine Coon cats, Whisper and Willow, and their collection of plants informally nicknamed the Leafy Boys, which I absolutely love. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome, Emmy, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to dive into the questions. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and to catch up with you. Yeah. So I thought maybe we'd start with a few questions about you and your agenting and kind of what you're looking for and that kind of thing. And then we can get to some questions that were sent in by listeners. Yeah, that sounds great. So first of all, what made you decide to get into agenting and how did you land at Westwood? Well, for the people who know me, I've had a lot of different jobs over the years. Agenting is probably one of like the strangest how I got this job stories that I was working for an independent bookseller in Toronto for about four and a half years um, while I was finishing my graduate degrees. And I started thinking about how I wanted to kind of build, I guess, professionally after deciding that I, the academic track probably wasn't going to be for me after finishing my PhD, I was looking at kind of tenure track options. And I was like, I don't really think that this is going to be the right fit. So I was actually listening to a podcast driving down to Denver to visit someone who I was seeing at the time. And it was all about kind of like the day-to-day -day life of a literary agent. And I started thinking to myself, I was like working in research almost full-time at that point, um, working at the bookstore. And I was like, you know what? Publishing would be so much fun to be a part of like more formally. And this job sounds like it would take a lot of the skills I had from like my previous lives and put them to good use. So from there, I actually just started researching. So I started asking people who I knew. I had a book blog, so I had some connections to the literary world and through the bookstore as well. And so I started asking agents kind of like, how did you start doing this? Or like, how, what would I do to like do this job? And I started looking for internships locally 
and I came across the Rights Factory. So Sam Hyatt was the first person to kind of give me an opportunity to get involved in publishing. And I will always admire him because I think that he's one of the only people, at least around here, who like would take somebody who had like zero experience in publishing at all and sort of give me a foot in the door. I'm super, super grateful to him. I had a good experience at the Rights Factory and really, really loved agenting. And so a few months later, I was offered a position with Westwood Creative Artists, actually sort of a connection that I had through helping to organize the fold. Um, Meg Wheeler, our international rights director, we had worked together on the festival for a couple of years. And so when she heard that I was sort of like in the field and they were looking for somebody new to come in, this was like right around the beginning of COVID and things were kind of shifting and changing in the publishing industry. They made me an offer and it was sort of my dream job. It was like a really generous offer and I have been so well supported and so lucky with my time at Westwood that I've learned so much and they've done really great things for me. So I would like to stay here for as long as they will have me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I love hearing people's kind of paths into in, into wherever they they choose to be right it's always interesting to hear oh my gosh um, it's such a winding road for most yeah. people in publishing it's at least for me it was not a straightforward path so I mean yeah. I could dig into that for the next week I'm sure a therapist would have a lot to say about <laughs> my choices but yeah it's definitely it's been a weird ride but a good one yeah I think agenting is probably one of those careers where you can come from any number of directions or any mm. number of experiences before and you can bring a lot into it so yeah yeah I totally agree and I mean I think agents come from all different backgrounds too which is so cool like people have mm -hmm. I mean I had some editing experience from my academic days because I used to work for peer-reviewed journals I think that was one of the things that Sam liked when he was looking at my like totally unqualified <laughs> resume <laughs> but also I was really lucky to work when I was working as a bookseller I was given the opportunity to read a lot like my it's fairly uncommon for booksellers to get paid to read but I was and so I had the book blog and so it was sort of like a weird mashup of skills but I mean people can have the right skills for agenting and come from all sorts of different fields which I think mm -hmm. is really really neat we have people you know at Westwood who started off as agents like I did but also people who you know like from day one they were an agent and people who, you know, have more of an editing background. Jackie Kaiser, who is our president, was an editor for Penguin Random House Canada for like many, many years. And when she wanted a change, she moved to editing or to agenting rather. So yeah, it's, I think it's one of those jobs that you can do like with the right skills and the right training, you can do it with like a lot of different background experiences, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite thing about it? Do you think, can you narrow it down? <laughs> I mean, for me, part of it honestly was like out of necessity. Like I don't do well with a structured nine to five job. So when I started looking at jobs in publishing coming out of grad school, I was feeling really discouraged because like mostly for mental health reasons, I really like I have really had a hard time having jobs that were like in an office, like, you know, business casual nine to five, that kind of feeling in the past. And so in academia, that was one thing that was really freeing was that like, that's not usually an expectation of a lot of research jobs. Like, you know, they're often like partially from home or, you know, like you'll come in for meetings, but it's a lot of work on your own. And so I was really looking for a job that would keep giving me those benefits to my health and mental health and agenting thankfully has been definitely that experience for me so that's probably like my 
like less fun favorite thing. <laughs> um, there are lots of like fun things about my job too, but that's definitely the one that like when I think about if I would ever change jobs, like that's the one thing that makes me hesitate is like that freedom and flexibility is really, really important to me. And I really like it and it keeps me really happy in doing what I do. So yeah. Yeah. And that's super important too. Yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be enjoying what you do. <laughs> exactly. Um, what kinds of stories are really grabbing your attention right now? That's such an interesting question right now. And it's so funny because we've rescheduled this interview a couple of times. I feel like I would have given you a different answer every time we had <laughs> this, like the chance to talk right now. So it's been an interesting year for me. Usually in the past, I've set goals for myself in terms of like the number of deals I want to do in a year. And this year I decided not to do that. So I'm trying to like put less pressure on myself in terms of like the volume of deals that I'm doing and focus more on things that I'm like super passionate about. And that I feel like, you know, I would prefer in my life to be doing a fewer, like selling fewer books, but working on ones that like really, really speak to me. So I think at this moment, I'm actually pickier than I usually am. And at the same time though, like I've got a great list of authors. I love working with them and they're kind of in their rhythm and doing their thing. And so I am actually looking for new books right now. So I'm like at the same time, like more picky than usual, but also like more open than usual. I just reopened a query. So there's that as well. So the kinds of stories, I feel like it doesn't really change so much the kinds of stories. Like I have a very detailed manuscript wish list, but the things that I'm always looking for are like at Westwood, we're very picky about like very good line level writing. So that's sort of like the common thread, I would say, that runs through all of the agents at Westwood. So I'm always looking for that like level of craft and I'm a little bit snobby about that. <laughs> I'm also like, I'm a very impatient reader and I think that the market also is sort of on that page right now. So I'm always looking for books that are like really propulsive and immersive. I'm not the type of person who's going to like sit and wait for the plot to start. So I'm always looking for, it doesn't need to be like super high stakes. I love like calm, cozy stories, but like the story needs to be happening for me and not just sort of like waiting around for it to come. <laughs> um, and I think that I'm always looking for different stories, new voices, like things that we haven't seen before, whether that's like a super strong hook and like a super weird plot line or crazy story, like something that's like really, really out there, or it's like a voice that we haven't seen in that genre before something that has, has been overlooked I know lots of people talk about like lesser known histories and things like that those are totally my jam and I love things that have I, I did a panel recently that was about like romance and rom-coms and things like that and I feel like I'm always looking for family stories that use like think about family in a different way that's something that like I would really love to find right now is like whether it's like a domestic thriller or it's like you know, an unconventional rom-com or women's fiction, like family saga. I love like thinking about the different ways that family looks in society, whether that's like blended families or, you know, found families, anything like that. So yeah, that's my rambly answer for today. <laughs> we'll see if it's totally different tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, publishing is always changing, right? There's always different yeah. things going on and so, and, and different tastes. And then, you know, you might see a show or read a new book that you didn't know about before. And then that can totally change what your tastes are. So I think a hundred percent and publishing is so fickle, you know, I think yeah. that authors like it's both frustrating and also of great benefit to authors that publishing is constantly changing its mind. So mm -hmm. I always tell people like, try not to get discouraged, like write what you love because 
eventually like somebody is going to be excited about that even if it's not the first person you go to or it might not be in the first month that you're looking but Mm -hmm. you know publishing is always it comes in waves for a reason you know people get tired of reading the same thing so if you're writing something different or you're writing something that you haven't seen in a while chances are good that thing will come back it's just you know like making making sure that you're putting it out there so that people can find it yeah so because the landscape is always changing what would your advice be to people who are querying that's such a hard question because like (laughs) I mean there's so many different things (laughs) I feel like I could give advice all day long just because (laughs) I spend so much time looking at queries my life is like a lot of it's always a lot of queries (laughs) I help organize the queries for our whole agency and make sure they get to the right people so I see a lot of our like kind of um I know people hate the term like slush pile, but like the general queries that come into our inbox that, you know, are addressed, don't have a specific agent that they're addressed to. Or I also help some of the other agents make sure that their piles are organized and all of that kind of stuff. So I feel like I could give a lot of different advice, but I think that one thing I've noticed this year and like it's been it absolutely makes sense. And it's something that I've talked about with other agents who are seeing the same thing is that it feels to me this year that authors are like more frustrated than they have been in previous years. I say that without judgment because I think that it's true that a lot of us both in the industry and people like trying to get into the industry have found that like the bar just keeps getting higher these last few years. And there are some market trends that are exacerbating that problem. So things like, for example, right now, like over 70% of book sales are backlist books. And so it makes it very challenging for authors whose books are being released right now to sell copies, but it also makes it so hard for publishers to put their faith in a new author because they know it's going to take a long time for that author to build like much more than they have in the past. So I know that we've struggled at Westwood to kind of walk a line between making sure that our submissions are you know, high enough quality and they're what the editors expect from our agency because we have a great reputation, thankfully, with publishers for having high quality submissions, but also like working in a way that's realistic and, you know, gives like we can still keep an open door to new voices and to people who are less experienced. So it's been really challenging for us. It means that like as I'm reading queries, at least personally, I find it very difficult because things that I could have said yes to a couple of years ago and spent time developing and working on with an author, sometimes I have to pass on just because, you know, the sales considerations are even higher than they were in the past in terms of like, they're of more importance because fewer books are being purchased. So yeah, it's really challenging. And I can totally understand. I feel like authors are probably getting more rejections than they are in the past. They're probably getting, I mean, the volume of queries that I get has just gone up and up and up over time. So I know that I'm personally sending out more form like responses to people, whether it's like requesting extra materials or whether it's a pass. And I've gotten a lot of responses from authors lately, like asking for more feedback or asking me to reconsider things, or even just like giving me their kind of response to my decision. And sometimes that can be really, really tough because I want to give so much more to authors, but I just don't have the capacity. You know, you can't, when we're getting like 40 or 50 queries a week, like it's really difficult to have that ongoing correspondence. So The one thing I guess like what that boils down to to authors is just like don't give up don't get too discouraged and like also remember that you know it's sort of like querying is kind of like applying for a job like you want to be able to voice your feelings and like ask for the things you need but try and remember that like we can't always give those things to people um 
yeah, just because there's the volume is unreal. So I don't know. I, I feel like my advice to writers is always just be determined because like, those are really the people who are going to find success are the people who just like are really tenacious and do not give up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, I can, I have so much sympathy because it's a really, really tricky time to be hearing something like that. Yeah. Too. I feel like also there are a lot more authors that are like they're querying with stronger query letters. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think they're, that could be a product of many, many things, but it seems like mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're putting the effort and the time and the learning into it that they need to maybe more than in previous years. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And then it probably makes it more difficult <laughs> yeah, for agents 100%. to choose, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Although but I love, good, I, like, yeah, I have such appreciation for a good query letter. I think that sometimes what I'm finding is that people are like more focused on their query letter than their writing sample though. And yeah. I'm like, that's actually like the most important part. Like to me, yeah. I see a lot of people who like really pick apart their query letter on like such a minute level. But then like when I get to the writing sample, I'm like, you didn't pay as much attention to this as you did to your letter. And you really like your work needs to stand up to how you're selling it. Right. So yeah, yeah it's, it's super competitive and that's obviously not the case for everybody. It's super difficult and it's hard on our side too like it's difficult to know who to take a chance on what direction you know to focus on as an agent too because the sales the past few years have been so weird with like the mm -hmm. shifting dynamics of the pandemic and how that has changed kind of the retail landscape I think a lot of people are feeling like kind of discouraged and uncertain and insecure so it's a tough yeah it's a tough climate right now for querying yeah yeah definitely but like you said, don't give up, be determined. No, yeah, persevere. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you don't shoot your shot, you'll never like nobody yeah. will ever pick it up. Right. So you just have to kind of I totally get that it's exhausting and discouraging, but you just have to kind of keep going and try and remember, too, that it's not personal. You know, I don't read things and go like, oh, God, this author sounds terrible. And like, mm -hmm. you know, like that's not where I'm at when I'm passing yeah. on things. I'm like really passing on things like with a heavy heart that I'm like, oh, I wish I could take on more of these, yeah. but it's just like not the right time or yeah, it's right. Tough. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Yeah. And just speaking of query letters, is there anything in particular that you like to see in a query letter, whether that's the structure or like, you know, what is your preference when you get queries? Yeah. I'm all about like my favorite is just like a really traditional query letter. I know that's like the boringest answer. <laughs> um, but I'm always telling people like, I feel like a lot of people worry that like if they are really uniform and like really follow the like quote unquote rules or like really stay within like what's kind of expected for a query letter, they're not going to get noticed. And for me, at least it's like, that's like the total opposite. Like I know that when I'm organizing queries, especially like the ones that are the easiest to kind of read and get the information out of, like, those are the ones that are going to get passed on the quickest there. And like, also, if I can just like skim them and get all the information I need, that means I'm like, onto the writing sample right away, which is the part that I'm really considering, like when I'm interested in a story, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to get hung up on whether or not you put like your cat's name in your bio <laughs> as much as I appreciate that. But yeah, <laughs> um, but I am going to get hung up on the writing sample. You know what I mean? So for me, like the query letters, like when they can follow that simple, like sort of three part structure where you have like the metadata up top, a summary in the middle bio at the end. And like, it's really clean. Like that's ideal for me in terms of the letter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So Let's get into some questions sent in from listeners. Yeah, you um, have great 
audience questions. <laughs> I've read a few of these already. And I just have to say, like, I've been on a few podcasts where they've had like submitted questions. And sometimes like you must have a great captive audience out there because I feel like you got lots of like really interesting responses. So that's cool. Yay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so our first one is from Tara. Mm-hmm. Tara or Tara, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, <laughs> she says, in full or partial requests, should we use a header with the author name, title, page number, etc.? And can you see all the grammar suggestions in Word, even if they're intentionally ignored by the sure author? Sure can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's something I warn people about all the time. Like, I'm I'm really sticky about grammar. Part of that is because what often happens, at least for me, and I feel for editors too, is that like when you look at, especially like a full request and you're reading it, I, so I tend to listen to a lot of my queries, first of all, and part of that is so that I can like turn off that part of my brain because otherwise I get super hyper-focused on like the nitpicky stuff, but I do always look at the physical document and obviously the grammar still comes through when you're listening to it, but I feel like there's a like a mental math that like there's like an algorithm in my head that's always going between like how much work am I going to have to do with this author on this to get it ready for submission? And grammar is just one of those things. Like, even though a lot of people are making stylistic choices to prioritize like voice over the technical writing, I'm going to choose the technical writing every time, because to me, you can always add little style touches and voice in grammatically correct ways. And also you can always pull back on that, but actually, but adding it in later is always an option too, right? Like it's sort of like this valve. So to me, I would, I'm much more comfortable submitting to an editor, a manuscript that's like super clean, super polished. Like they're not going to have to like go hire a copy editor to do like a really in-depth, like elbows deep pass on this thing. Then I am to submit something that has like a ton of like red wiggly lines all over the word document because I feel like editors will do the same thing as me. They're going to read it and they're going to be like, this is great, but it is going to be so much work. So yeah, you can definitely see all the grammar suggestions. Um, you can tell also when people are ignoring them on purpose versus like when people are ignoring them for style, like it's yeah. pretty clear where those choices have been made. And I would always tell people that like, if you're erring on the side of one or the other, like err on the side of technical writing and let your voice come through in other ways, especially sentence fragments. Like that is the the biggest thing that I find myself just Mm. like, even with my clients being like, no, no, no. (laughs) I always tell them I'm allergic to them. I put a little like sneeze emoji beside them sometimes (laughs) to tease them (laughs) because they drive me nuts. And it is something that like ultimately publishers, traditional publishers, the work needs to be accessible. So the grammar is important, you know, it needs to be easily readable. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that is a calculation I'm doing in my head. Um, As for like the question about the header, I don't think it really matters to me. I would suspect that it doesn't really matter to other people. And every agent will format a submission before they send it out to an editor anyway. So we all kind of have our own, you know, like preferences that way. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. The next one is from Eileen. And Eileen says, what are your desert island books? Two to three must-haves. I thought about this so much. Like I actually (laughs) went to Goodreads. I like went through my favorite shelf. I did the whole thing. I really got hung up on this question for some reason because I was like three books. What the Well, it's like (laughs) picking your favorite child. You just can't do it. And I'm not (laughs) a big rereader either. Like I t- with TV shows and stuff, I tend to rewatch things, but I have a few books that I've reread, but I'm not a huge, like, oh, this is my favorite book. I'm going to read it like a thousand times. Like I tend to read something and then I'm, if it's emotional, especially I like, 
I feel like I got punched in the stomach and then I put it on a shelf and I like stare sadly at it for the next 12 years, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I did come up with answers. Emma Hooper's Our Homesick Songs is like one of those books that I think just never got enough credit when it came out. It did, to be fair, get nominated for some awards and stuff in Canada, but it is a story about growing up in Outport, Newfoundland during resettlement. I grew up in Newfoundland. My family lived through resettlement there. It was like an extremely emotional, like it's still something that like I think about often in my day-to-day life. I'll say that. And it was like the first time really that I'd read a book that felt like home to me. Like it had these like really deep cultural understandings that a lot of books, even written by people from Newfoundland, I think tend not to have because they might not feel as like easily understood by other readers. Anyway, this book walked that line so well. I had to literally read it in like pieces. Like I would start crying reading it and then I'd have to like put it away and come back like two weeks later and be like, I can keep going now. We're good. We're strong. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, I love it. So I would recommend that to anybody. The writing is beautiful. The story is incredible. And it's like a very, uh, it's one of those like pieces of history that people don't talk about very much. So I think that that one's a great one. Helen Oyeyemi, I didn't actually pick like a title by her, but all of her books are so like she's my favorite author. I would say if I had to pick one in the world, it might be her. And all of her books are so complex and bizarre that like, I think I could take any of them and be happy. (laughs) Those are the ones that like, I feel like I could reread a thousand times because they scare the life out of me. They're like super out there. There are always huge chunks of them where I'm like, what is going on? So I feel like those are like the brain puzzles I could read forever. I love her books. Um, The most recent one that I read is White is for Witching, which I like couldn't read alone at night. It like scared me so much. (laughs) It's such a creepy book. I love it. Um, But there's, I mean, I love everything I've ever read by her. So I would totally take one of her books. And then I was sort of thinking in like a nostalgic way, The House of the Spirits by Isabella Allende is, she's an Argentinian author. I read her book in high school and it's definitely one that I, it still like lives rent-free in my brain. You know what I mean? Those books that like never leave. I still have like some images of like sitting in my family house, like when I was like 17 years old, like reading this book and being like, wow, it was like one of those life-changing stories. So I would definitely, it's a magical realism book. Um, It's beautiful. It's yeah, I would recommend it to anybody. And then I would also probably try and swing like a stack of comfort manga. (laughs) That was the only thing that I was like, I would need something like really fluffy. And I feel like that's what I would want, but I don't know how I would pick three because they tend to come in like, you know, gigantic box sets of like 9,000. So (laughs) anyway, that's like a deep dive into my reading psyche though. Like for sure, anybody who's familiar with those three authors, like if your book could comp to any of them, absolutely. Like that's, that's definitely like I thought a lot about those picks. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next question is from Dina. What are your tips for narrowing down who to query when multiple agents at one agency seem to be a great fit? I'm gonna give like a non-answer to this question. <laughs> um, which is to say that you can totally like rack your brain over it. But my suggestion would be just to go with your gut feeling because most agencies, and I would say the agencies that you really want to work with in particular, or at least that I would, are places where like, if I read a query and I know that it's not quite for me, like, but I know it's amazing, I'm never going to pass on it because I would want it to stay in house. So even if it's something that I don't want to work on, I'm going to pass it to one of my colleagues who will, you know? So I think that most agencies 
that work really well together and that are really collaborative. Like those are the ones that I, that appeal to me the most anyway. And so I would say that, you know, like editors at an imprint, we do tend to share things. Like I have a few clients that I've gotten passed on or referred internally because people, you know, they read something and they're like, this is phenomenal. Actually the book, the band, which is coming out next year in 2024, um, with Atria, it's by my client, Christine McCallums. She's actually like a great example of that because she queried my colleague, John, who looked at her query and said like, yeah, this is fantastic, but her book's all about K-pop. He's not exactly a K-pop savant. <laughs> and so he was like, but I know Emmy likes K-pop. <laughs> and we ended up doing a great deal for that book and finding it a really great home. And I adore Christine. I love working with her and her writing is brilliant. So, I mean, we were all really happy with the outcome of that. So I would say that like most agencies are going to do that anyway. So whoever you kind of feel like when you read wish lists and things like that, I feel like you can get kind of a vibe for the person listening to them on podcasts or like checking out their social media might also give you like a bit of a sense of their work style. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't stress about it as much as it feels like you should, because you'll probably land with the person who is the best fit for you in-house regardless. Right. Yeah. That makes I know so that's much not sense. tips, but <laughs> no, you're right yeah. though. I, I think that's, that's probably the case in, I would say probably most agencies. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. the ones where it's not the case, there's probably like a level of competition and like maybe like lack of collaboration that I would be like, eh. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's probably not, you're probably going to get better results for your work in a place where people are working as a team to support you right. and not just as kind of siloed individuals. So yeah. Yeah. yeah agreed. The next question is from Kat. No, not me. <laughs> Different Kat. <laughs> if you've rejected a full manuscript and it's since been completely reworked, do you like to see that re-queried or? Yeah. I mean, yeah? Don't, definitely don't waste your effort. Like don't keep it to yourself <laughs> after you've rewritten it. I mean, sometimes like for me, at least it's extremely helpful if somebody says that I've seen it before, because otherwise I will not remember because I've seen so many books and I read many pieces of books in my life so what will happen is that I will read it I will feel like an uncanny familiarness and then I'll get confused <laughs> and have to like do a deep dive into my old inbox so yeah. I would definitely like preface it if you query the agent before just say like you know I would love it if you take another look at this and also like if you can tell people what you've done to change it like that's great mm -hmm. too so like if you queried me and I've given you feedback and you took that feedback like I'm going to be extra excited to see it. Right. So, or if like, also, if you've done something like sort of a professional development thing, like if you've gone to a conference or worked with a mentor or an editor, like those are all things that are great to sort of be like, this is, you know, what I've quantitatively done to change this book. Um, yeah. I would include all of that in your new query letter, but for sure, I'm always happy to see things that have been reworked. That's how books get better. So yeah, I'm very pro reworking. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, the next question is from River. Do serial self-publications like Kindle Vela or Wattpad count toward the debut or, or being previously published? This is such an interesting question. Like, I almost want to be like, let's have a whole podcast episode. Just about <laughs> yeah. <this." laughs> um, so I feel like I need to preface this answer, though, with like, this is just my opinion. Like, everybody is going to have a different answer to this question. I feel like this could be like one of those standard questions you ask agents just to like laugh at how subjective this industry is um for me so when I think about being previously published 
in an, I think because I work for an agency that's fairly traditional, like we've, Westwood has been around a long time. I would say that like the way that we work is like not old fashioned, but it's like, we definitely are of the like previous generation of publishing in terms of like the initial approach. And so like all of the online platforms and stuff obviously are very, very new. And I'm not sure that some of my colleagues are as aware of them as I am even necessarily. So they might even have like totally different answers to this. But when I think of being published, I think of being traditionally published, whether that's like through an independent publisher or a big five or, you know, like a corporate publisher, like it doesn't really matter to me. But when I think of that process, like in my mind, I think of you having like submitted either through an agent or yourself having been edited and gone through that process and then you know like selected edited and then being published through like a press and so for me the answer would be no like that doesn't count toward being um like a debut or having been previously published but of course it's writing experience so I think that you know it's I I don't think that it's a drawback or like a negative at all to have worked in those spaces I just think that in terms of like your experience it's just two different kind of ways of having worked in the past. Um, I've worked with authors who have done both. So I don't think that I necessarily have in my head like expectations of people that way. It's just sort of interesting to know. Um, and part of the reason I think of it that way is because when I think of somebody having been published, that changes a little bit my work approach with them because I have like expectations of them having gone through an editorial process before. Um, whereas like if somebody has never worked with an editor before, like I am going to be kinder <laughs> about how I walk through that process the first time because it can be really like it's being edited is very emotional for a lot of people and so if it's the very first time they're ever experiencing that I try to like be sensitive to that um, whereas like if somebody comes to me and says they've published three books I'm like great you've had this before like we're just gonna like get to it you know yeah. and and I'll be more I like efficiency minded than like emotionally minded sometimes yeah. um that said, in terms of when you're pitching your book to somebody, if it has been published online, that means that it's not eligible for traditional publication. So sometimes that's changing slightly and it's confusing to a lot of people because of like the Wattpad imprint and things like that. But it's important to know that like when Wattpad chooses to publish something, they are specifically choosing from their platform. So their standards are a little bit different than like Penguin Random House who you know, they're looking at different metrics and things like that. So when we're going to submit something, if you've self-published something through like Kindle Unlimited or through Wattpad or whatever, generally speaking, an editor at a traditional imprint won't be able to consider it if it's been available to the public before. So the word published can mean many things to many people, I guess is what I'm saying. And it is valuable to sort of just be specific about what you've actually done. So like if you have self-published on Wattpad say that and that way somebody can you know the person who's reading can make their own judgment as to how they would approach that because I think that everybody has a different kind of approach and it also depends on the kind of work because I feel publishers are becoming more open to web comics for example that have been previously published being bound for the first time and that might happen with prose down the line too it's happened with poetry as well a little bit more although I don't represent poetry but like in terms of Instagram poets and things like that. So, I mean, like there, the sands are shifting. So I would just be very specific about what you mean and try to veer away from just saying published because like, then you know that the next email you're going to get is going to be asking for more details anyway. So yeah. yeah. 
What about it's a good terms- question though? It's yeah, so, it's- I I wish I could talk all day about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like any of these, <laughs> any yeah. of these could warrant like a whole podcast episode. Exactly. Um, and just kind of a side question with that mm-hmm. is, you know, because uh, some people will have a self-published book it's available on Amazon or or whatnot but they're like "Mm, you know what I I really would like to try and get this traditionally published and that is the problem because it's already been out there yeah Yeah, exactly um the only exception to that is like if you have completely rewritten it so like say you self-published it in like 2010 and you took it down in 2015 and since then like it used to be a young adult book and now you've rewritten it for adults or something like that you know, there are some agents who will be willing to work with that. But I would say that like, if I see something in my inbox that has been previously published, I just ignore it. Like we, there's no, like, there's no real point in me being investing time in it because I can't Mm -hmm. take it out to most editors anyway. So what about if someone has published something and that imprint or that publishing house has gone under or they've, you know, Mm -hmm. done whatever, and they have now gotten their rights back? but they want to, again, publish it with someone else. They sometimes publishers will take those on as like a second book, but they usually won't take them as like a first, like a new submission unless they were published somewhere like really, really small. (laughs) Sometimes there are like ways to cut those corners or yeah, again, if it's been rewritten or, you know, like I had one I've had one author who we've worked with, like she had published two books with a previous publisher that were like linked thematically. They weren't like exactly a series or a duology, but like they took place in the same universe. And then she had had some health issues and the publisher didn't want to do her next book. And so we reworked that book. It's still set in the same universe and everything, but it's very much stands on its own. And we took that out as a fresh submission to, to different publishers and did fine. So, I mean, it sort of depends on the circumstances and also on your reputation and your sales record, you know, like no publisher is ever going to say no if you've sold a hundred thousand copies in the past, you know what I mean? If it's something that's not available now, yeah, they'll probably be interested in something like that. But if you're a debut author, you have a lot less of that wiggle Mm -hmm. room, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. Okay. Um, This one is from LB. What Mm -hmm. are at least two things that get agents attention in a query? (laughs) Oh, so many things. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I can think of the bad things first. <laughs> oh, two things. I feel like for me, I'm always looking for like a nice query letter. Like, I know that sounds really, really, I don't know, like bougie or something. It sounds definitely cringe when I say it out loud, but I'm like, if the query letter is written well and has an interesting hook, and like, even if it doesn't follow exactly the format it's supposed to, or like exactly the, you know, contains every single piece of knowledge or whatever but like you can tell that it's been written with some by somebody who's like really polished it really cares about it it's clean and like it's approachable all of those things like of course like that's I mean to me that's like step one you know those are the ones that I just immediately pass on to whoever they're directed at because even if there's like little mistakes in them you can tell that like this is written by a person who's like done their research they're like being thoughtful they're like caring about what they're doing you know what I mean And like the things I look for, I guess, when I look for like, quote unquote, nice is like having most of the information there, definitely following the submission guidelines on the websites of who you're um, submitting to if they're available, like so important, 
if somebody sends me a query letter that like they clearly haven't even read my manuscript wish list or like it's something that like I'm like I explicitly do not <laughs> represent this or like that our agency obviously doesn't represent like those things make me roll my eyes because I'm like it's just a google to find that mm -hmm. out you know what I mean yeah. so yeah like I look for the basic like you know clean grammar like following the guidelines all of those things and also like just coming across as like an you know like a professional person and I don't mean that in like a like tone policing kind of way but just in like the way that you would expect to approach any stranger you want to work with you know what I mean mm -hmm. I find we get a lot of very I would say assertive query letters mm -hmm. and I always really like it when people are like assertive but also like you know we're also people so it's nice to be like approached like we are strangers who you would like to work with and not like you are you know like demanding something of us already or yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tricky. I know that that's like a weird line to walk, but yeah, I always look for those letters that are just like friendly and well put together. The other thing I would say is that like the hook is definitely like a really good hook is going to probably catch the attention of any agent. If your concept is like really hooky, really interesting, something we haven't seen before, like no matter what, you know, like even if it's something that I don't represent, like that's going to get my attention and make me take a second look at it if I'm like that's a really cool concept even if it's not necessarily for me. So I would say that, yeah, those are probably like the two, the very broad things that I look for. Yeah. 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 It's so hard though. Cause there's so many, there's so many things that you do want to see and there's so many things that you don't want to see. Yeah. And also like the query, I don't want to put too much importance on a query letter ever. You know what I mean? Like I do the query letter matters. It's a, it's your first impression, obviously, but like, it's the books that really matter. So right. to me, like you can catch my attention with a query letter in good or bad ways. If the manuscript is brilliant, I might not care, <laughs> you yeah. know, like I might totally write off whatever I've seen before in favor of being like, this is great, or this is awful. So yeah, mm -hmm. like I put, I guess like I put importance on queries, but only to a certain extent, I guess. Yeah. Unless I okay. see huge red flags or like glittering diamonds in the queries. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Next one is from A. When you request a full manuscript, what are the things that make you reject it? Oh man, that's where it gets tough, right? I feel like I try to do a lot of, um, posts on social media about the kinds of things that make me request a full or not because those are easier for me to nail down you know what I mean I can like go through a letter go through a stack of like maybe pile queries with like a letter and a writing sample in it I could probably give you like 10 you know like a checklist of things that like I'm looking for in those once you get to the full manuscript that is really where it gets subjective right like I can read two books by the same author and love one and not love the other or you know, like two books that have the exact same pitch and all love one and not the other. And it's really difficult like to know, but so I guess useful context maybe is that our submission guidelines, we ask for like first 10 pages or something like that. It's a relatively short sample. So when I request a full, it's usually the first time that I've read beyond like the first chapter. So I know some people request like three chapters or something in their submission guidelines. So some people get like a bit more of a taste, but in terms of like what I get when I get a query, it's pretty small. So it's really just the line level writing that I've like had a taste of and nothing else. <laughs> so I guess when, like the first thing I'm looking at in the full manuscript is really like the plot and the characters. So I, the first things I'm always looking at, like from the first page, I'm so picky about first pages are 
like getting a good introduction to the main character or the protagonist finding out like what this story is going to be about like the central conflict of the book I want to know like right away and I also like to get an idea of like what that journey is going to be like so like some of the facilitators like some of the things that are going to make the character's life easier or like some of the barriers that they're going to bump up against too if I can get all of that in like the writing sample then I'm already set like I feel great about going into a full from there but those are the things I'm looking at in the first few chapters too, like quickly, like how immersive is this book? Like how good is the writing? What is the voice like? The voice is something that's so hard to nail down, especially like depending on the um, age category, the voice is something that I get really hung up on for like middle grade, especially, but also young adult. It There's such a fine line between like being accessible and being patronizing. And that like really has to be nailed, I think for those age categories um what else in fulls like I mean other than like whether or not I just like it it's hard to sort of say like I think pacing is really big for me I tend to think of books as like kind of a puzzle too so like if there are structural issues that bothers me less than if there's quality issues like I'm because I know that you can always move things around in a book if you have to um but yeah in terms of like the pacing I'm always looking at that from like both a structural and also just like a writing style point of view. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's so difficult because it does get so subjective, right? Like, especially mm -hmm. once you're halfway through a book, it's really hard to quantify what you love about something or what you don't. So yeah, um, yeah it's tough, but I hope that that's, that's a few things. <laughs> a few things, yeah. Yeah. It, it differs from manuscript to manuscript and it, it you're right. It is hard to pinpoint exactly what you might love about something or what's yeah. not working. I mean, sometimes you can tell, but sometimes it's just, I don't know. I, I wish yeah. there was a word for that for, I don't know. There yeah. probably is a word and I just can't think of it. <laughs> I will say that a, a huge pet peeve of mine is when there are like big plot elements or big, like important things to know about the characters that aren't included in the query letter. So like mm, it's happened yeah. to me a few times recently and I have like literally wanted to just like, put my computer in a pool and walk away <laughs> that I've read amazing queries I've requested the full and I've gotten like five chapters in this is like a lot of time to spend right like how long does it take to do all of this and the correspondence and then like five six chapters in I find out that like the main character is a person of color and it's been written by a white person and that's like a big no-no for me anybody who reads my manuscript wish list is going to know that anybody who has heard me speak ever knows that like it's it's something that BIPOC people have really spoken out against over the last like 10 years is having their stories like really like directly appropriated by white authors yeah. I'm not saying don't have BIPOC characters in your stories but like when the main protagonist point of view character is black and you're a white author like to me like I don't it doesn't matter to me how many sensitivity readers you had <laughs> look at it mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so that's something though that people can find in my submission guidelines like it's not difficult to find that information about me and it happens I would say like once a month at least and so it just bothers me because people know like authors know I'm sure that like we google authors right mm -hmm. like I mean I hope they google us too yeah <laughs> but, like that's how you find information about people right so if I get a great query and I look you up and I'm like, oh, you look awesome. I like read your Twitter feed. You're like very clearly like a white woman from Cincinnati. You know what I mean? And you've mm -hmm. like, there's no indication to indicate otherwise. And I've read your bio and your query letter at this point. So like if you're white passing, but you have other life experiences, 
like that have informed the book. Hopefully you've told me about that by now. Right. You know, I get like a hundred pages into a book and get and find that out I'm like so disappointed you know Mm -hmm. or people who like it has happened a few times too that like I say explicitly on my manuscript wish list that like I don't represent books that have military themes for example and like I'll get four or five chapters into a book and find out that like the you know main protagonist is in the army and I'm like that's (laughs) like it's just frustrating because I've already that's going to make me reject it right away because I feel like even if it was done not on purpose, I feel like I've been manipulated somehow into reading something mm-hmm. that I wouldn't normally consider. And so I find that really frustrating. So those yeah. are, th- that's one that I would be like, pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we're being like, totally honest, like that's where I would go with my brain at that point. Um, so yeah. I would say like important things about your books, especially if you've read, like, if you have like big content warnings, or if you've read something that makes you think like, oh, this agent will probably want to know this, like, tell them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, don't waste your time or theirs, you know, because I also totally understand the frustration of getting a full request and being like, awesome and sending it off and waiting sometimes like months to hear back and then to just get a a form passed. Like, it's so frustrating. So like, save yourself that frustration. (laughs) I try to let people know when things like that happen, just in case it is like a mistake or you know, an oversight, it happens, I get it. But like, those are definitely things that make me pass pretty much Mm -hmm. immediately. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, and that's why it's so important to to do your research and do your homework and find, I mean, it sounds stalkerish, (laughs) but you need to find out information about the agent that you're querying, because you need to pay attention to those things and exactly and make sure that you're, it's not just about what the agent is looking for it's what you're looking for in an agent too yes, like it's a 100%. two-way street and you need to make sure that you you drive and oh, every 100%. yeah yeah I exactly. always tell people like it's way better to have no agent than have the wrong agent for you yeah. like your life is it might feel like you've taken a step forward but like <laughs> I've heard people you know like I have friends who are writers as well and like I've heard so many writers who have had just the wrong fit like not even like an agent who isn't doing their job but like it's just not the right person for them yeah and if they do decide to part with their agent often it feels like they're taking this huge step backwards and I'm like it's not though like if you're not moving forward with your agent then like how is that good for either of you right Mm -hmm. like you don't want to be in that position nobody likes to be in that position agent or author like it's just it's awkward and it's hard and it's sad for everybody like so the more that people can do you know like I try to put I think most agents try to put what's important to them in the public eye so that you can find it. If you're not finding it, obviously, like that's on us. But like, at least for me, like I know my manuscript wish list is unwieldy and long, but that's why (laughs) is because it's so I'm very picky. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's good, though. I think the more details you can put in your manuscript wish list, it's just going to help everybody like who's looking to query you, right? And it's also, yeah, like I would also say that for me, because I represent across age categories and genres, I'm pretty wide open to things. Mm -hmm. So I try to be specific about the things that I'm not because they're like, it's kind of an open playing field. You'll find like people who have more of a specialty will have like a shorter manuscript wish list. Like if they're only representing sci-fi and fantasy books, like that narrows, you know, the bounds of what they're going to receive Mm -hmm. pretty significantly. And so it's easier to kind of like then articulate like what it is you're looking for and what it is you're not in a short space but because I have to cover a lot of ground (laughs) I hope that people don't feel like you know if you go to my websites and stuff like 
they don't have to you don't have to read like what I want in nonfiction if you're writing a picture book for four-year-olds about dinosaurs that's that are like on Mars you know <laughs> like <Yeah>. you can <laughs> the information is there but like I hope it's not too overwhelming to people <laughs> yeah okay we have one last question from Evelyn yeah. when submitting to agents how should an author handle a novel framed as having an anonymous author should they put their real mm -hmm. name below like by on the title page or just with the contact details and maybe speak a little bit about pen names as well yeah absolutely I found this question really interesting too because there are so many I'm not sure exactly what she means by anonymous authors but there are so many this comes up a lot in like various ways the one thing I will say is that like as your agent like or as your primary editor like that person is going to need to know who wrote the book <laughs> you know what I mean so however you want to present that information is really up to you but like I have had people pitch books on behalf of other people who want to remain anonymous that doesn't really work for legal reasons like eventually somebody's going to have to sign a contract and it's going to have to be like the actual human who penned this novel <laughs> so right. like in terms of the internal communication it's like you can just be open about it because I mean any ethical agent is not going to be sharing with anyone outside of their like immediate need to know team who they're working with or how you know what I mean this isn't like like I'm not a gossip mill in terms of like going to other agents and saying like oh my god can you believe like whatever like yeah. that's not going to happen as long as you're doing your research into who you're querying or who you're pitching to obviously do that and be careful you know but as long as you trust who you're submitting to, like being open about that information is fine. Um, but in terms of keeping it from the public who wrote the book, like that's a whole other question because once the book is submitted to an editor, really like it is just that editor and their like immediate team and then the agent and their immediate team who know kind of what the process is of this book, right? So for example, like ghostwriters, extremely common in traditional publishing, way more common than your average reader knows or wants to know sometimes. Like collaboration partners, writing partners, book coaches, developmental editors, all of those people work on books all the time that are published and their names are not on the covers. These are like extremely common practices. So those aren't things that you have to like feel embarrassed about or worried about if you're submitting you know, like if you have co-written this book with somebody, but you have an agreement with them that, you know, your name is going to be on the cover and this is going to be your book and they have just supported you, that's fine. But it is, you know, like the agent will need to know to contract appropriately with that person. So I would say in terms of all of those scenarios, like you're fine to just be honest about it and be open about it and trust your agent and your editor to handle that with sensitivity. It's something we do all the time, like so often. <laughs> um, in terms of pen names, that's like a much easier question which is just to say like anybody can really publish anything under whatever name they want to um mm -hmm. there will be questions about copyright and taxes <laughs> down the line so just like be prepared for that that like you know if it's not your legal name that's going on your book there has to be some paperwork in place to like account for that in the background but that's not something that readers would need to see at any point um but yeah like when when your book is acquired like by an editor or by an imprint as long as there is not any like I'm trying to think of like why there would be an objectionable reason to having a pen name but I can't really see the only scenario I can think of in which like an editor might object is like for example if you are a New York Times bestselling author and you are wanting to write under a pen name they're probably going to say no 
um, <laughs> because they are going to want to use that name or at least make yeah. public that this is your secondary name. You know what I mean? It's very yeah. difficult once you've established yourself to then like take a step back. Um, but if you're an emerging author, you can really publish under whatever name you want and it shouldn't be an issue. Um, and your editor and agent should be sensitive to that. I hope yeah. that that all makes sense. It's a lot of kind of technical answers, but <laughs> this is when you get yeah. into like, I have to call the lawyer for a second to like <laughs> make sure this paperwork is right. But mm-hmm. yeah, in like in practice, it is like, it's a, it's a little bit of like red tape finagling more than like actual human problems, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, but um, I would always include your real name in your query letter. Like to me, that just feels like a common courtesy because then I know who I'm talking to. <laughs> you know what I mean? It also, yeah. sometimes people will submit, this is like a personal, just like awkwardness moment, but people will submit things like with, like if I was going to submit with like my initials, so they'll submit like E.N. Higdon instead of Emmy Nordstrom Higdon. But then when I email them back, I don't ever know what to say. I'm like, dear E.N. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. so like, give me some information about yourself so that like we can have like a person to person talk because that's not, I'm not going to go tell other people about this conversation that we're having. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it does make it a lot easier to navigate when I know who I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, you're, you're seeking a working relationship with someone so you kind of need to know what to call Mm. each other (laughs) yeah and also like most people who have been agenting like even if people are new like we're pretty practiced at dealing with people who have big profiles and like being in the background of that and knowing how to support those people I have a couple of like even if they're not my clients at the agency like fairly you know like public sensitive people who we work with at Westwood and like I do work with them because we work collaboratively at the agency so I don't I don't represent them like their regular agent does but you know like in a lot of cases I've helped send documents to them at some point or you know like they've come to the agency and like we're all very used to that kind of like celebrity and like literary high profile person or like political people so like knowing trusting that people have your back and that they're not going to sort of like have a bad experience with you just because you have a public profile which should help your book ultimately you know what I mean Mm -hmm. if if that's the situation like I think people just need to kind of make sure they're doing their research first and have trust in who they're sending their work to yeah yeah exactly awesome all right. I think that takes care of all the questions. I hope I got to them all. I don't think oh I my missed gosh, any. So many good questions. <laughs> no. Yes. Thank you to everybody who sent questions in. I hope, I hope you got some satisfying answers. <laughs> you you <laughs> gave a lot of information. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's good. I think it's good. I mean, I the know. more, the more you can kind of give input to all of these things, the better, right? I think mm-hmm. the more information, the better. I hope so. Thank so. You so much, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> this has thank been you. great. And, um, It's great to connect with you again, too. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope Emmy was able to help querying writers out there with their answers to these awesome questions. Thanks so much for sending them in, and stay tuned for Lori's episode coming soon. Watch for future Ask Agent episodes where you can send in your questions. And as always, keep being badass. Oh, 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 o